beyond the veil. Hello, and thank you for tuning into Pulp from Beyond the Veil. I'm your host, Cody Sullivan. This episode has been a long time coming, and I'm so excited to share with you some of the things I've been working on. Before we begin, just a few bits of housekeeping to get out of the way. I've decided to make a few changes in order to streamline the production of this show and to help build off of the anthology nature of the series. The biggest change is that I will be limiting the word count in these stories to 1,500 words or less. This will help expedite the process of producing and editing this content, with the eventual goal to put out an episode bi-weekly. If you are a fan of some of the longer pieces, such as the Vile Goblet from Episode 2, fear not, my friend. I'm very much open to longer standalone stories and drama in the future. The second choice I've made is to do away with the segment called Killer Serials. This was the segment where I was reading from Franz Kafka's Metamorphosis. As much as I can, I'd like to produce or source the content of this program directly, so as to guarantee original content on this channel and to keep the episodes around 30 minutes each. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, this is Pulp. Now let's begin. For those of you listening to us for the first time, this show operates as an audio anthology series of all things strange, horrifying, and mysterious. There are different segments that explore the themes of horror, fantasy, and science fiction in further detail, but the overall episode exists as an homage to the days of old pulp magazines featuring towering barbarians, brave space explorers, and all manner of hellish ghouls. Our first story begins where so many before it have, the dimly lit aura of a quiet bar in a nondescript city. Though this story will take us years into the future, it can be understood that a lonely man drowning his sorrows with a stiff drink is, and will always be, a pastime immemorial. This story is called, A Bar Called Memory. Keep was in his usual spot behind the bar, polishing glasses with a coffee filter and smiling. His dull eyes were fixed on mine as I sat down on a worn stool I called my own. Good morning! Pal! Yeah, can I make you the usual? One! Well, whiskey with a splash of soda on the rocks. His voice whirred mechanically. He'd been working the memory for seven years straight. His circuits must be worn, as most barkeep bots were replaced after five. Good enough, I said, placing my rain-sodden hat down on the stool next to me. As he went through the motions of fixing my drink, the same way he always did, I idly scrolled through selections on the small touchscreen. When the hell are you going to update these picks? If I have to watch a little Johnny's first home run one more time, I don't know what I'll do. I grumbled. 
Well... How? Nobody's forcing you to experience that particular occasion. Keep called out with his back to me from the other end of the bar. Yeah, you're right again, Keep. Thing is, there's a woman in the second row who looks just like Marilyn Monroe. I'm not familiar with... Marilyn Monroe. He whirred mechanically. Not surprising. She's been dead a long time. She was a beautiful woman. A symbol in her time. A dame, they'd have called her. I remember seeing her in one of my uh, great-grandfather's old hard copies of, um, uh, Some Like It Hot, I think it was. Anyway, I doubt her name rings many bells nowadays. Now it's just another memory. Keith blurted out the catchphrase that his maker had programmed him to say. Spend enough time in dives like this and you'll notice that phrase is a handy way to put a pin in all manner of wistful reminiscing. You're right again, Keep. Keep placed the drink in front of me with a loud thunk. Ice jingled in the glass as I raised it to my lips. My finger was hovering above the screen, directly over the words, Johnny's First Big Homer, 1966, New York City, New York, USA, Earth. Can you see these things, Keep? I asked after swallowing a cool dram. I mean, can you experience a memory? Oh, yes. How? I can experience memories. Apart from my duties as a fully functioning barkeep, I also maintain and curate the entire index of memories that are uploaded to our servers. Would you like to submit an entry? He smiled at the end of the question. Despite the meticulous care put into making him appear as human and lifelike as possible, his smile was as unnatural as the plastic fibers that made up his thin mustache. No. No, I don't want to submit an entry. What I'm asking you is, do you want to see this dame who looks like Marilyn Monroe? I'm sorry, I don't recognize the word DAME. Please choose another synonym. His smile faded to an equally unsettling shade of concern. I had heard that this generation of barkeeps were programmed to largely display whatever emotions they were trying to convey, as to better be understood by those too drunk to notice the bartender was a pile of nuts and bolts. Girl. Or woman, rather. I mumbled as I pressed the words on the screen. There was a loud buzzing noise as a panel on the bar flipped over and a sort of binocular-looking device appeared in front of me. Earbuds dangled on either side of the oculars. Just then I heard the door open up behind me. An old man shuffled to the other end of the bar and sat down. I'm sorry. Hal. Duty calls. Hello. Abner. Yeah, can I get you the usual? One... Well, vodka straight up. I heard Keep say as he reached the other end of the bar. I took another swallow of the cold drink and fixed the binoculars over my eyes and inserted the earbuds. The dull roar of hundreds of voices overtook me. I smiled softly when I saw the mane of platinum blonde hair draped over the lovely curves of her shoulders. I waited eight more seconds for Johnny's bat to let out a crack 
and suddenly the whole crowd was up on their feet, their exuberant cheers all around me, and, for just a moment, I saw a glimpse of her face revealing a small brown beauty mark. Throughout history, there have been ancient parables of man's hubris getting the better of him. Such follies include the Greek story of Icarus, who despite his father's warning, flew too close to the sun and lost his wings. The Tower of Babel serves as another example of desire to touch the heavens. Are we not then due for another lesson in pride and folly? As we begin to venture farther and farther out into the vastness of space, are we not yet prepared to rectify the mistakes our ancestors made? Or rather, have we forgotten them? This next story serves as a fictional account of one's such journey beyond planet Earth. But given the speed at which humanity is progressing, this story may, in time, become equal parts science fiction and prophecy. This story is called Helios One. Diana and my son Jake. 
to take you. Do not fear or worry about the outcome. Just chase your goals and see where they take you. I'm sorry to miss your first day of school, but if there's something after this, then I promise I will be there watching you. Diana, sweetheart, I love you so much, and I'm sorry for leaving you alone. I hope you understand that I have no regrets in this life, other than I won't be there to grow old with you. Whatever happens, I'll be waiting for you on the other side, my love. Temperature is 61 degrees Celsius. Uh, liquid cooling failure means I don't have much time left, Houston. I'm not a religious man, but... Uh, It's now time to take a short break, brought to you by this episode's sponsor, Tombstone Mattress. You know you spend one-third of your life asleep, so finding the right mattress is important. I recently purchased a Tombstone Mattress, and let me tell you, I think I now spend at least two-thirds of my life in bed. In fact, I'm recording this episode from the comfort of my Tombstone right now. I haven't even gotten out of bed today. Um, so if you happen to be in the neighborhood, if you wouldn't mind bringing me a glass of water or two, I'd really appreciate it. Hello? Stanley? 
Where the hell are you? You were supposed to be here at noon. You're late. Yeah, yeah, no, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know. It's just, um... I'm still in bed. Listen, we all like to have a good time on the weekend, but come Monday, we need to buck up and show up. Do you understand that? Is it? Is it Monday already? Hell, I don't know. What's wrong? Are you still under the weather? Not exactly. See, I got my new tombstone mattress on Friday, that's so I come back. Tombstone, huh? Haven't got out of bed since Friday, have you? No, it's just so cozy. The, the memory foam feels like I'm sleeping on a bed made of spider webs. Say what? Silky, silky spider webs. <sighs> hey, Stanley. Hey, don't fall asleep on me. I'm sorry, boss. Listen. See if you can't send someone my way with maybe a, a, a Dasani or a Fiji water. I, uh, I finished my tableside glass of water yesterday and uh, I'm oh so thirsty and sleepy. Stanley? Stanley! Yes! I gotta get me one of those tombstones. So what are you waiting for? Go to www.tombstone slash pulp for a special 15% off on the only mattress you'll ever need again. That's www.tombstone slash pulp for a special discount for pulp listeners only. Tombstone. Sleep like the dead. Our final segment ends on a festive note. Today is Christmas Eve, and if you've been good, then Jolly St. Nick promises to bring his holiday cheer from the North Pole straight to your doorstep. However, there are undoubtedly some flying this night that have made a voyage far greater than Kris Kringle, and I promise that if they visit your home tonight, you best not let them in. This story is called Christmas on Mars. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Man, it does. So, what can you remember about that night? Were you near the lake before you woke up? Dr. Donald Fisk was ready to go home. It was almost 4.30 and his wife and son would be expecting him home at the usual time of just before 6. If it hadn't been for an urgent phone call an hour ago from his client, Jason, then he'd be home in time to go shopping for the New Year's party they were planning on hosting. However, knowing full well that Jason, a professor at the local community college, was a reasonable, rational man, the urgency of the call carried with it an added air of intrigue. The minute Dr. Fisk saw Jason, whose sunken eyes seemed to scream for want of sleep, 
He knew slipping this abridged session in before the new year was the only thing to do. No. No, I've never been out there before. Thank God for those fishermen who found me, or otherwise I probably would have frozen to death. Jason's voice sounded hollow, a shell of his usual baritone, thought the doctor. I just can't figure it out, Doc. It's been gnawing at me the past three nights. I can't eat. I can't sleep. I just keep trying to come up with an explanation as to how I got there. Or why I feel so out of place. I remember not being able to move. I was staring straight up at the early morning sky. There was snow all around me. And I could feel the hard ice beneath my back. Snowflakes were melting on my face and stinging my nose. I heard the fishermen call out to me from the road. I couldn't answer them. I was crying, and it was so cold that I remember the tear trails freezing, burning worse than anything. Soon I heard their footfalls approaching. The snow sounded thick and squelched beneath their feet. The minute I felt one of their hands touch me, I was suddenly able to move again. I sat up and cried and clung to the man who touched me. I was so thankful to be alive. In our last session, you told me about your ex-wife. You told me her birthday fell on Christmas Eve. You know I have to ask you about this due to your recovery, but did you drink any alcohol on Christmas Eve? Jason bristled at the question. I've been sober for a year now. Okay, I can promise you I didn't touch the stuff. Besides, why do you think Helen's birthday has anything to do with this? Well, assuming drugs or alcohol were not involved, then we need to figure out where this memory lapse is coming from. Sometimes the stress surrounding significant events in loved ones or former loved ones' lives, such as their birthday, can coincide with temporary but extreme mental conditions. Selective amnesia, for example. If the emotional response is too great for the brain to process, sometimes it just doesn't codify memories properly. Or at all. Jason pursed his bluish lips and nodded in agreement. Indeed. Which is why I needed to see you. Remember when my sister was getting married? I was worried about relapsing at the celebration. You offered to perform hypnosis on me to help alleviate the cravings. You remember that? Well, I was doing a bit of research online and I stumbled across a number of people claiming that hypnotic regression therapy helped them to piece together certain areas of lost time. This is particularly true for people who believe they may have been abducted by extraterrestrials. The cool tone Jason employed betrayed the high strangeness of the subject he now brought to light. Do you think you were abducted by these extraterrestrials? The doctor asked, trying not to sound incredulous. Well, it would certainly explain one issue I've been struggling with. When they got me into their truck and they were bringing me home, the fishermen kept talking about how strange I looked out on the ice. See, I was in the middle of the lake, and it had been snowing heavily all night. But when they found me, I, 
I was lying on top, just barely sunken on ten inches of fresh powder. However, around me, in every direction, there was a distinct lack of footprints in the new snow. It's like I fell from the sky and landed in the middle of the lake. Huh. So you want to find out how you got there? No, I need to, doctor. Please. Dr. Fisk leaned back in his chair and folded his hands together. He knew now he would be late. He saw the silhouette of his secretary through the brushed glass of the door put on her coat. She was leaving. It must be after five. He stayed silent for a moment, before finally saying, Very well. Before we begin, I need to tell my wife I'll be running late. Holiday business and such. Twenty minutes later, Jason was leaning back on a deep-seated sofa. His eyes fluttered irregularly as if he were dreaming. Dr. Fisk was leaning over him, studying his expressions with a notepad in hand. In the background, there was some gentle Christmas piano tinkling away on the doctor's prized vintage stereo. Jason, I want you to tell me exactly where you were on Christmas Eve three nights ago. Where were you, Jason? Jason's features stirred for a moment. That's when he said it. Christmas Eve, I went to Mars. The doctor scribbled quickly on his notepad. How did you get to Mars, Jason? They took me there. The giants. The ones who changed me. How did the giants take you? Tell me what you remember. I remember watching TV at home. It was Christmas Eve. I, w I was getting tired. It was getting late. And there was this sound. It started coming from the TV. Then my cell phone. It was like a the regular set of beeps. It made me nauseous and I went outside for some fresh air. When I pulled open the door, there they were. The giants. There were three of them. Each bent over so their faces were level with mine. I... I wasn't afraid of them. I went with them. Why did you go with them? They said they had something for me. Something important. A gift, they said. They spoke without speaking. And it sounded like their voices were underwater. One of them opened up his mouth, and it stretched and stretched. And I remember being picked up by it. And then the four of us appeared somewhere else. Mars. How did you know you were on Mars? 
they told me. And after they changed me, I went outside with them to look at the earth. It was so small, it seemed to only be a morning star. I remember the pain of their needles when they went inside my ears. It felt like hot smoke was filling my entire body. I think I had a seizure, but when I finally awoke, I was embraced by the one who picked me up at home. He told me that I would now forever be welcomed back to Mars and that they would pick me up again when I completed my initiation. Jason's face went still. His breath, which had been calm the entire trance, suddenly became ragged. So, naturally, I thought of you. What about your initiation made you think of me? The doctor felt his palms slick with sweat. I thought of you because I needed someone I could get alone. Jason's hands shot out like vipers and coiled themselves unnaturally around the doctor's biceps. The doctor cried out in shock and agony as the bones of his arms buckled and cracked. Jason opened his eyes and to the doctor's horror, he saw the eyeballs were gone and in their place were a pair of grotesque, segmented bug eyes. Jason's tongue unfurled from his mouth and landed in his lap as he stood up, growing so tall he had to hunch forward to fit beneath the ceiling. The doctor tried to scream, but before he could, a stinger burst out of Jason's chest and struck him in the forehead. He was at once immobilized. It was all he could do to watch Jason's mouth expand wider and wider as it enveloped his head, then his shoulders, down his back, his thighs, his feet. In one swift motion, the doctor felt himself being upended and sliding down, down into the dark. His clothes burned away and his skin singed as he quickly began digesting. He died in agony before he could even believe what was happening. His last thread of consciousness ended with silent night. And thus concludes this very special holiday episode of Pulp from Beyond the Veil. If you've enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to listen to the other episodes on this channel. You can contact Pulp directly on our Facebook page, as well as our email, pulpfrombeyond at gmail. To those celebrating tomorrow, Merry Christmas, and Happy Holidays to you all. I'm Cody Sullivan, signing off.